We will be in Colossians 2, verses 1 to 5. Let's pray. Now, Lord God, as we come to your word, we freely acknowledge that uh, we need your help in understanding. We need your help in seeing what's here. We need your help in applying these truths to our lives. And we need your help in living them out in the way that you long for us to do that. And so we ask that you would show us, teach us, and guide us this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When Carol and I had the privilege of serving a number of years ago in Bolivia for uh, a few years, one of the things that um, we really enjoyed doing was reading uh, uh, books. And, uh, of course, that was way before Kindles and that kind of thing. So... Uh, among the, our friends, we would share uh, English books, especially, you know, if you're reading something for fun, you know, some kind of fiction. And uh, I had a friend named Kevin, and he uh, one day came and said, hey, I think you're really going to like this book. And so he gave me this book, and and he lived in another town. And so I started reading the book, and, and I got into it, and I enjoyed it. And it was coming to a climax where there were some mysteries that were going to be solved and revealed. And then it said... Be sure to read volume two of this trilogy. And I went, ah, how could you do this to me? I mean, it was going to be months before I saw him again. And so I had no way of solving the mystery of this book that was just right there. Made me really mad. Kevin Kevin heard from me. (laughs) Um, To his credit, he did loan me the other two books later. But when we say something is a mystery, we are normally referring to something that's hidden or something that we don't know a whole lot about, maybe we don't understand. Sometimes we use the word mystery in the sense of a book that you're trying to discover who is it that did the crime or whatever. A mystery is also used as a to describe something profound or something uh, that cannot easily be explained or something that is hidden. Uh, in the ancient Greek and Roman world, there were many um, what they called mystery cults. Now, let's go ahead and put that quote up there. The mystery cults, uh, a mystery was a secret ritual or secret knowledge that supposedly established a relationship between the persons that were in that little group or that were initiated into that mystery with a god, uh, small g, and resulted in, in, in benefits. Some people thought it was immortality. Some people thought it was just wisdom, all kinds of things. So the mystery cults, and if you read in that time frame, you'll hear about the mystery cults or the mystery religions. It was about that. You had to become part of it. You needed to be initiated and brought into it. And that's where you learned the mystery. So it's no secret that these things were going on in Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea. And when Paul writes, all the way through the book of Colossians, you see him using the word mystery, purposely. And why he does that is that he wants everybody to get the fact that these other things have nothing to do with anything. But the mystery that refers to Christ and how God has revealed himself, now that is the mystery that we can know and that has been revealed to us through God's Word and through His prophets and that kind of a thing. So, so that's the way Paul is using the term mystery. It refers to Christ. So as you go back, go back and read the first chapter of Colossians again. Watch how many times he talks about the mystery or this mystery, uh, something that was not known. And uh, he brings it up again. And every time he does that, that's a swing, a real heavy swing with a big, huge bat at the mystery cults. I mean, he's letting them know, you guys are not real. You are 
you are fake. The things that you do are demonic, perhaps, but they have nothing to do with the worship of the true God. Okay? So let's jump into verse 1, chapter 2. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and those in Laodicea um, who have never met me personally. Okay, so I want you to know how much I, and, and the word here is I am agonizing over the fact that you're experiencing these things. And he's referring to the fact that, hey, the mystery cult is trying to get inside the church and trying to get them to, to water down what they believe. So I want you to know that I'm agonizing for you. And, and this is not an external struggle in the sense of, you know, physical, but it's certainly a struggle internally as he wants the believers to stay firm. And to not be drawn into or dragged away from, dragged into a mystery cult or dragged away from the gospel. And so he says, I, I, I want you to know that for you guys, the people in Laodicea, and for everyone who has not met me personally. Now, remember, there were three towns in that area that probably Epaphras had started a church in each one. One was, one was Colossae, one was Hierapolis, and the other one was Laodicea. And so he had planted these churches there. And now these churches, all of them were facing the fact that the mystery cult people were trying to bring in some of their stuff. And Paul opened his eyes, wanted to open their eyes because he wanted them to, to realize how dangerous this was. So Paul agonized. How did he do that? And I just kind of was thinking through this week. Um, let's go ahead and put that, that up there. Thank you, um, he agonized in prayer. That's the first thing. And you see that in all of his letters that he writes to whatever the churches are. I, in verse 9, we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. So these are, in most cases, people he's never met. People he's heard about from Epaphras and maybe from Philemon, but there's not a whole lot of people he knew in these places, but he was praying for them regularly, pouring out his heart and interceding for those churches. The second thing, so he, prayer was one way he agonized. A second thing was by writing letters. He writes the letter to Colossae and writes other letters. The book of Galatians was a letter that was written to deal with specific things that were being taught that weren't right. And, and he was dealing with those things as he sent that later letter through Galatia. And here in verse 16, 416, it says, After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church of Laodicea so they can read it. So he said, hey, there's these, you, I want you to share this, this letter with others as well. And then you should read the letter I wrote to them. So there was a letter to Laodicea that Paul wrote, came at the same time, probably dealing with similar issues. But there was enough things different in the letters that Paul said, I want you guys to, to learn what's in these letters and then pass them on and then learn from their letter as well. So he agonized in prayer. He agonized by writing and putting down on parchment what he wanted them to learn and understand. And then the third way he did it was by sending co-workers to encourage and to teach. If you, if you read much of what goes on in the book of Acts and, and in Paul's letters, you see that he's sending someone here and he's sending someone there. And, and in many cases, he's sending them because there's something that needs to be addressed. Verse 7 of chapter 4 Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. And he says, he's a beloved brother, faithful helper, who serves with me in the Lord's work. So this is, this is his qualifications. He's my co-worker. He works with me. And I'm sending him to you so you can know about me, but also so he can help you with what's going on. Look what he says next. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. So Paul 
prayed for them, wrote to them, and sent co-workers. Okay, let's, let's deal with these things that are going on. Uh, we need to help the church to stand firm and not give in to the things that are going on around them. So in verse 1, Paul said, I'm agonizing over you and all those who don't know me per- personally. I'm agonizing through prayer. I'm sending letters. I'm sending co-workers. And then in verse 2, he says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in, in heart and united in love so that they may have a full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And so he says, listen, this is what I want to do. He says, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm writing to you to help set these things straight. Um, I want you to be encouraged in heart. That's one thing. I want you to call, basically the word of calling someone to your side and, and walking with them. So I want you to be encouraged in your heart. And that's the whole idea of being strengthened against the false things that were being said all around them. So my purpose, Paul says, I want to encourage, I want you to be encouraged in heart. I want you to be united in love. So there's two things. I want you to be encouraged and I want you to be united. I want you to be, and the word here is a really great word. It means to be compacted or welded together. And, and it's like the whole idea of um, a cohesive unity or being bound together. That's what he's talking about. I want you to be that united. I want you to be encouraged and I want you to be united. And then there's a reason so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. So he says, I want you to be encouraged, I want you to be united, and I want you to be those things so that you can have a full and complete and total understanding and insight into what God wants you to know when it comes to dealing with these issues. In order that you may know the depth of knowledge, true knowledge, and then here it comes, here he uses that word, the mystery of God. Not the mystery of the mystery cults, not the little things they were teaching about uh, that you could learn and they had to know these special things. I want you all to know the mystery of God, and that mystery namely is Christ. Christ is the mystery. The mystery of his incarnation, the mystery of God coming and becoming man and being fully man and fully God, all of that is what he's talking about and referring to as he talks about the mystery. Matter of fact, I came across this, this quote I really appreciate it. All that is deepest in God is summed up in Christ. All that you ever want to know about God, all that God is, Christ also is. The Phillips translation puts that verse this way. May your spiritual experience become richer as you see more fully God's great secret or his mystery, and that's Christ himself. That's what I want you to know, Paul says. Then in verse 3, he says, Christ, in whom, he's talking about Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so he said, I want you to know the mystery of Christ. And, and what it is, is that what's hidden in him, he's the source of all the treasure, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. Phillips, again, puts it this way. For it is in him and in him alone that men will find all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's where you go. You're, you're wondering about these mystery cults and mystery things. Set them aside. Turn to Christ. Turn to, turn, turn to God. That's where you will find all of those answers that you so desperately need. Now, in Jewish tradition, they pursue wisdom. The mystery cults would have pursued knowledge. It's the special things that you know. And Paul comes along and says, hey, none of that matters because in Christ you have all of the fullness of both wisdom and knowledge. 
They're all full and complete in Christ. And so verse 2 again, that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amazing, what an amazing thing when you think about that. In chapter 1, verse 27, Paul put it this way, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glory, the glorious riches of this mystery. And what is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that he's talking about all through, all through this letter that he writes. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, well, they're found in Christ. All of the treasures which are hidden in Christ are there. And as we are joined to him by faith when we believe, then all of those things become a, a, a reality for us. We have that mystery of Christ that we can hang on to. And that mystery isn't hidden. It's something for us to learn and know and to grow in. Now, there's some implications here. Uh, again, uh, verse 2 and 3 in the New Living, he says, I want them, and he's talking about the believers at Colossae. Can we put that up there, Keaton? Thank you. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. So he's talking again about the people there in Colossae he's writing to. I want you to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. And what is God's mysterious plan? It's Christ Himself. In Him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And, and so Paul spells it out. Now, how did Paul expect them to stand against the false teachers? And that's a really good question because that's what he's saying to them. You've got a, people all around you who believe these things and they're trying to impact you with the negative things that they believe. And and I just want to, one of the things that's important in Paul's letter, that he's not expecting anybody to do this individually. This is not something that Paul's writing says, now each of you individually, you know, just kind of hang on and, and, and no. This is something that he's speaking to the church as a whole. Corporately, you guys need to grab a hold of this truth. As a church family, you need to hang on to these things. As a church family, you help each other through these things. And that's what he's trying to say. He wanted them to be encouraged and unified and knit together so that they could understand all of the marvelous truth that was in Christ and as a result of that, be able to stand firm against any falsehood that came along. So Paul was touting on, on the ties that they had of love and the fact that they were together, unified. He was counting on that to be the, the reason and the way that they would be able to stand against the false teachings and the falsehood that was there. Now, I just in my own experience, I've seen it down through the years, there are dangers in trying to stand alone spiritually. We were never intended to stand alone spiritually. Um, not being part of a church family makes it so much easier to kind of get drifting away. Not being part of a church family means that sometimes you buy into twisted beliefs very easily. Very easily. Carol and I have seen it a number of times. A person who had been part of the church family, maybe they got offended about something and just walked away, or maybe just slowly they, they kind of drifted away. And in those vulnerable times when they weren't really part of anything and when they were rejecting anybody who might be trying to reach out to them, they latched on to other things. In some cases they were not good things. In some cases, they were 
getting into cults and other belief systems. And that's a scary thing. That's why Paul says, you you got to be united. You need to be doing this together. Uh, you need to be knit together, encouraged, and have those strong ties of love to be able to hang on. When we are struggling and hurting and wondering if why we are going through painful things, and we all have that happen, those are the times when we are to draw closer to our brothers and sisters in the church family. And, and that may be hard because sometimes it means we have to be a little bit vulnerable. And we should draw close to the church family for encouragement, for prayer, for strength, for growth, for sharing burdens. And that's what we're called to be. And when we share each other's burdens as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we care for those who are hurting and struggling, then we're doing what the church is supposed to be doing. And that's caring for each other. So when we need help, we must be honest about it. And we need to be willing to be vulnerable and and be willing to let people help us. Too many times in my own life, especially the younger I was, the more I thought I knew when I was hurting, those are the times I didn't want to hear from anybody. And those are the times when I desperately needed to hear from others. If someone comes to us and needs help or encouragement, that's where humility on our part has to come in. And we understand that there's pain and that there's hurt involved in all of this. And we seek to humbly encourage. And not by knowing all the answers. That seldom helps. But it, by coming alongside and encouraging and helping and listening. And sometimes it may just be to sit there and cry with them. Paul was saying about the believers in Colossae and Laodicea, I want them to be encouraged, knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ Himself and only Christ. I want them to be encouraged so that they can do the things that they're supposed to do. I want them to be encouraged as they join together, as they understand the truths that are here. So when we hear negative or complaining or criticizing or out of control anger, and and if you've ever been in that kind of a situation where you're feeling those things, it's very hard to understand and see the truth when that's going on for us. It's very hard. And those are times when we need to say, okay, Lord, I, I need to get this taken care of. I need this anger or I need this this uh, criticism spirit. That it's, it's my way of being critical to, to not be part of this because I want to be able to see your truth and understand it. And that's what Paul's saying. I want you to be united. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be united in love. All of those things so that as you're looking at God's Word and as you're looking to help each other, it's coming from that part of you, from that whole idea of wanting to be an encourager and wanting to be a helper. And at the same time, as you're doing that, you're being yourself encouraged and strengthened as well. I read about a person who was a guide for hunters, and uh, at one point he was leading some people, on, and, and they came across a really strange thing. It was a couple of deer that they were head-to-head, and the, the skeleton was there, and they got closer, and he said, see what happened here is that they were fighting, their horns locked together, and they could not get apart. And eventually, they both died. You know, as believers, we have to be so careful that we're not just butting heads with people and that we're not just 
jumping into situations just for the sake of argument. Maybe one of the things we need to ask ourselves individually is, do I encourage and unite others? Do my words and my attitudes help? Because that is what Paul's talking. I want them to be encouraged. I want them to be knit together. And I want them to be strong in their love so they will understand clearly the message and be willing to share that message from there. So we, we're called to pursue encouragement and unity and face any falsehood so that we can continue to pursue all the wonders of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. Let's move on to verse 4 and 5. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you. And I tell you this is you know, the whole idea of I want you to be united and I want you to stand firm. So I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And if you go back and study some of the Greek philosophy and that kind of thing that was prevalent in the years before and, and through this time frame, there was all kinds of ways of arguing and, and, and bringing, you know, these wonderful discussions that they would have and they go back and forth and back and forth and, and you were trying to, to win with your logic. Um, and Paul said, make sure no one deceives you that way. Don't buy into that kind of logic, which is just out there, you know, trying to, trying to show off in some ways and trying to win an argument. Don't buy into that. Don't become a part of that. I tell you this, that in Christ all the treasures are hidden of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Him. And I'm telling you this so that no one may deceive you. I don't want you to fall into the trap of buying into the false teaching. And he says they may have fine-sounding arguments. And they may have persuasive rhetoric. And they may be attempting to talk you into something. And they may really be smooth. And Paul says, watch out. Watch out for the false teachers who come with fancy-sounding arguments and, and smooth talking, trying to deceive you out of what you know, which is the mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So again, he's warning them, listen, the culture around you is going to try to get you to buy into this, whatever it is, and it's not going to be the truth of the gospel of Christ. Walk away from it. Don't let them deceive you with those arguments. And he goes on in verse 5, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. For though I'm absent from you in body, hey, listen, guys, I'm far away. Matter of fact, I've never been to Colossae. I don't even know most of you in person. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm in jail in Rome. But hey, I'm a far away from you. I'm long ways away. But I'm present with you in spirit. Or I'm one with you in spirit. It's kind of the thought that's there. We are one in Christ. Even though I'm way over here in Rome and you're 1,200 miles the other direction in Colossae, we are still one because we're one in Christ. And he says, I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now, orderly and firm are military words. And what he's saying here is, um, you are like, in the sense of orderly, you're like soldiers who have laid out the battle plan and you're carefully putting people where they need to be to execute 
what's coming, to be able to carry the battle to the enemy. You're the ones that are doing that. And he says, I look at you and I see how orderly you are. And he's talking about their faith in Christ and how, how orderly it is. And then he says also how firm your faith is. In other words, how unyielding is, is your faith. And, and so they're soldiers who are orderly and they're unyielding. They're not getting blown away from the positions that they've taken. And that's the terminology that Paul's using here. I want you to stay solidly focused on Christ. I want you to be where you're supposed to be, moving in the directions with all of your brothers and sisters that you're supposed to be doing. This quote kind of explains it a little bit. Paul sees the situation to the Colossians as being like that of an army under attack. So that's the imagery here that Paul's trying to address. It's the imagery of an, of an army under attack. And he affirms that their lines were unbroken, their discipline intact, and their faith in and reliance on Christ unshaken. And that's Paul. That's what Paul's saying in these last two sentences of this verse. You guys, you're like an army, and you are hanging in there. You are orderly in the way that you're doing things. You're disciplined intact. You're firm. And, and your faith and your reliance on Christ is unshaken. And that's where he wants them to be. He doesn't want them to kind of be given into these arguments and kind of drifting away and, and, and you know, being out of touch with the brothers and sisters so they drift away. He says, hang in there. Be together in all of this. So I tell you this so that no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. What do we take away from all this? Verse 5, New Living puts it this way. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should. So Paul's rejoicing in the Colossians and, and, in, and in what he's heard about them and how, how they are living in the midst of you know, fighting off the false teachers. I rejoice that you're living like you're supposed to. That's awesome. So he rejoices that the church family is being the family they're supposed to. They're helping each other out. So they're living as they should. And what does that mean? Well, living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Remember the mystery religion would say, well, you know, you need to buy into the secret knowledge and, and then you, you get something with this, this little God over here. Or maybe you need to come over here and there's a special little ritual that we do secretly. And Paul's saying, nonsense. Don't go anywhere with that. Stick with what is the truth. Stick with your faith in Christ and may it be strong. May it be orderly. And may it be firm as you think about the reality of what's coming. So Paul rejoices because their faith in Christ is strong. And a couple of translations said the same word this way, firmness of your faith and stability of your faith. That same same word. Um, it's just translated a little differently. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that your faith is strong and I rejoice in that. Or I, I rejoice in the fact that your faith is firm. I rejoice in the fact that your faith is stable. The word has all of those meanings. So he was rejoicing that their faith was strong, that they believed what they had been taught, and that they stuck to it. 
Understand that? They believe this is what we were taught by Epaphras and others, and, and we're going to hang on to it. We are going to stick to it. We are not going to drift away. We're hanging on to the truth that we have been taught. And because of their faith being strong, they could continue to believe. And, and, and Paul says, I, I want you to continue believing and I want you to continue hanging on to your faith. And then he says, I want to encourage and strengthen you. I want to, I want to do that. I want, I want to be an encouragement to you so that you as a church family will stand firm in your faith. And if someone is struggling, will you come and you come alongside of them and you encourage and you help them? As we're thinking about this, this verse, your faith in Christ is strong. My mind immediately went to Hebrews chapter four. This is the verse that reminded me. Hebrews 4.14 Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess or the faith we confess. I I love that. You know, the, the whole imagery there is, okay, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And He ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And, and there He is. Now, as you as the imagery is being discussed here in Hebrews, He says He's passed through the heavenlies. In one sense, it's like the high priest going through the curtain into the Holy of Holies here on earth. But the reality is that the earthly version was a copy of the heavenly one. And Christ was returning to the real one. Through the heavens into the very presence of God where He sat down on the throne. So hold firmly to the faith we profess. Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and, and, and we grab a hold of these truths and we hang on tight. We do not let things come barging in. We repel those things with the help of the Holy Spirit and our brothers and sisters in Christ. I love that. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And then he goes on to say, for we do not have a high priest who is unable. I love these double negatives, don't you? Uh, we, we don't have a high priest who can't. What we really do is we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet without sin. So we can hold firm to our faith because we have a high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone through the heavens and sat down. But before all that happened, He was tempted in every way, just like we are. But He never sinned. And because He never sinned, we can count on Him to give us the strength to help us when we are facing whatever the trial or temptation is. That's the wonder and the beauty of this verse. It means that our perfect high priest understands what we're going through. It means that Jesus Christ, our high priest, gets it when we struggle, when we hurt, and when we stumble. He knows. He understands. He gets what temptation's all about. But because he never sinned and never fell into it, he's got all of the power and all of the ability to step in and give us the help and the encouragement when we need it. When we ask for it, we get it just when we need it. So we have a high priest, because we have a high priest who's gone through the heavens, because we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, Paul says, let us approach 
the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hold firmly to your faith. How? Go to the throne of grace. Isn't it amazing that it's not the throne of judgment or or the throne of condemnation uh, or the throne... Fill in the blank. This is the throne... A believer comes to the throne of grace. The throne of grace. What an incredible, incredible title. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because our high priest who's gone through the heavens and seated at the right hand of God and he's been through everything we've gone through without any kind of sin in any way, shape, or form and we can approach him because he said, Come! Come! The throne of grace is here. It is available to you. It is available for you anytime. You're struggling and hurting? Come to the throne of grace. You're wondering if you can make it through the day? Come to the throne of grace. You've stumbled and fallen? Come. To the throne of grace. We go to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. So Paul told people in Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea the same thing that the writer of Hebrews was telling the people he was writing to. Hang on. Hang on firmly. Don't let go of your faith in Jesus. If we stumble, fall, or we give up, don't let that cripple you. When we stumble and fall... Confess, get up, and be restored. That's why it's the throne of grace. So we come with confidence because he's promised that there's always room. Just turn back. No matter what's happened, no matter what's going on, turn back. And maybe we say something like, Lord, this is really hard. Help. Lord, I want to hold on to my faith. Help. I can't do this alone, Lord. Help. And maybe I share with a brother or sister or a couple of them, hey, I'm really hurting and struggling. Will you just pray for me? Pray for me. I don't remember where I came across this hymn again this, this week, but it's an old song that I remember singing when I was in Sunday school in church. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Because of all the things that we've gone through, all the things that we face daily, we're still reminded, hang on to the faith that you profess. And we're told, if you need help, the throne of grace is always open. Come. There's mercy and grace for all. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we are so, so thankful for your word. What an amazing thing that we, <laughs> we can just read these things and, and your spirit can help us to understand and even more to apply. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters here and for myself, I pray as this week comes, if we're struggling and hurting, Lord, help us to come to the throne of grace. Lord, for those that are struggling and hurting, if we know that they are, help us to reach out and encourage and to help. Lord, as a church family, help us to be known for the fact that we are going to hang on to our faith and reach out and encourage and strengthen our brothers and sisters. Thank you for your word. pray that you'd help us to apply it. We ask in your name. Amen.